So, pastor emails on Monday morning. Some of them are great. Some of them are not so great. And, you know, I was thinking through just over the course of... Uh, I've been doing this for almost 20 years now. And over the course of that time, I have received emails that have let me know I am unloving, unkind, ungracious, unchristian. Uh, I have heard that I am a legalist. And I've heard that I am, like, way too liberal. I have heard that I do too many verses and not enough verses. I have heard too much application, not enough application. I mean, it is mind-boggling. And the names I get called sometimes are phenomenal names. Some of them, I don't think they're real until these people made them up. Because they're so angry. You're just a, what you would call it, who's he what? You know, like, all right, cool, that's what I am. You know, I've been called curse words in the name of Jesus in emails. Which is always awesome. Like, I think they mean donkey. That's what they mean. Um, so that's what they're driving at. So lots of stuff happens. But one of the most interesting emails that we have received around here lately wasn't directed toward a pastor, which was very fascinating. For once, we're like, oh, nice. We get off. All right, good. And it was directed to the pastors and some of our elders in relationship to somebody in our church that just serves in ministry, not necessarily at a high level or anything. They're, they're just involved and they serve. And this email rolls in and it begins to just slam this individual. Slams their person, slams their family, slams their children, slams their life, lifestyle, all of this stuff. I mean, just a concussive wave. I'm just, bam, you know, just harsh and cruel and short and just right to the point of these issues, right? And we're reading it, and then here's the dilemma. It's not signed. Here's the greater dilemma. They sent it to us through a secret server so we could not see who sent it, nor could we respond to it. Now, this person claims to have been now a former member of Redemption Church because they were going to find a more biblical church that doesn't tolerate people like this serving in ministries of the church. So it was so long, farewell, we don't want to discuss it, any of that. It was just, bye, you're sinful, we're gone. And I remember I read this email and I instantly went to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Where Paul says, you know, we all come together as the church and we all need one another. And there's different parts of the body that all make the collective good. And I thought, I have to come today and tell Redemption Church that we are now buttless. All right? Because they left. Right? Um, how, do I, how do I break the news that we're a buttless body? Um, because they were very clear. We're gone. Because this person is in ministry. But they left no room for interaction. No room to, to even let us investigate these uh, assertions. In fact, we all as leaders know this person, love this person. We're very aware of their life. It's not something that we, we were like, you're kidding. It was just vindictive. It was just mean. And yet, that is the nature sometimes of the church. And I believe that's true because ultimately, as human beings, this is part of the nature that we suffer from. We are awesome, and I mean awesome, at being judgmental. Awesome. So, if you have a Bible, please open up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Do we have ushers in here with Bibles by chance? Does anybody need a Bible? Maybe you came this morning, you don't have one. You can just put up a hand, we'll pass a Bible your direction if you need it. I don't know if there's any hands, but uh, we'd love to get that to you. 
So, open up to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be starting in verse 1, where we're looking at rolling like Watner. Rolling like Watner. All right. How many remember Judge Watner? All right, now here, I want, okay, now here's where you're going to get freaked out. How many have never heard of Judge Watner? Welcome to the great age divide, all right? So, um... I, like, my kids are going, Judge Wapner, who? You mean, like, Leibowitz while you're at it? I don't know this guy. All right. Judge Wapner, the ultimate cool judge on television, the people's court, fake court for real life. I love it. All right. So that's what Jesus is kind of dealing with, right? How to judge, how not to judge. That's the deal. And so he starts in verse 1, and he says very simply, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Now, here's one of the first things about this verse that is so fascinating. It is the most popular and famously quoted verse by everybody that hates the Bible. All right? Right? I mean, you, you do. You, you, you'll see it all the time. It's just thrown out there like, hey, you are not qualified to judge me because, again, Jesus said, don't judge. You go, well, do you know what the next verse is? Don't have a clue. That's the only one I care about. I don't even know what book it's in, man. I don't care. I just know you're not qualified to judge me. That's how it's typically understood by the world. But then in the church, we have to look at this and understand its context and understand its heart, right? We want to know, what is Jesus getting at? And I really believe, foundationally, what he is dealing with here is something that is true to the root of our person. Jesus knows... He knows concretely, matter-of-factly, he watches us do it all the time. He knows that we excel at judging in poor ways. Now, we're going to see there is good judgment to be had, and there is a place where we should judge properly. But frankly, we're not good at that in comparison to all the bad, sour, arrogant, egotistical ways that we judge. We are way better at bad judgment than we are at good judgment. And this is why Jesus is being so unbelievably stern with this. In fact, when you couple it to Luke's parallel of this, and we're going to do that a lot this morning, what it says there is, do not judge and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. See, right there you see it's in the negative. To judge is to condemn is what he's getting at. And like I said, we're all going to struggle with it. We all judge. We all judge all the time, right? I mean, we judge people's dress. We judge their attitudes. We judge their mannerisms. We judge their motives. We judge their actions. We just love to perpetually judge. We judge sometimes based on hearsay. Sometimes it's just gossip or rumor and we go, oh, that must be true because they said it and I trust them. And so we judge people. We think we have these perceptions. Or we make assumptions. And so we judge. Think about it. We judge people who are on welfare. We judge people who are homeless. We judge people who are oddly dressed. We judge people who are well-dressed. We judge people who are sloppy. We judge people who are, in our mind, too clean. We judge people who are overweight. And we judge people who are too thin. Right? I mean, we judge all the time. We're awesome at it. You pull up with a new car, you get judged. You pull up with a clunker, you get judged. 
You pull up to somebody's house. Wow, nice house. Wonder how they got that. You know, judge. You pull up through the house and it's a dilapidated shanty. Oh, look at them. Judge. Right? We judge what people watch, what people read, how people raise their kids. Oh, yeah. We judge how people choose to educate their kids. We judge how people vote. We judge how people believe. I mean, all the time, we're engaged in judgment. I mean, it's pretty much without even uh, assuming otherwise. And often when we judge, when we do this, it's, it's often just hard, fast, and flippant. It's not like we really take the issue and we weigh it, we think it through, and we pray about it, we try to understand, and we try to put ourselves in their sneakers for just a minute and kind of get the full picture. No, we just go, oh, they did this. This is what it means. I mean, how often have you gotten into the car with your spouse or your parent or your friend or whatever after you've been at some event and the first thing out of your mouth is, did you hear what they said? Could you believe that? Oh, man, I would have said something, but... Like, we're saying it now to the wrong people in the car. All right, so, right? So, we judge. And, like I said, Jesus knows we judge. Now, does that mean we're never to judge in any way? Well, no. We're going to see here that there is a difference between being judgmental and discerning. All right? And I want you to lock that in. There's a difference between being judgmental... And being discerning. And it's not just wordplay. A lot of it is going to come back to attitude, to disposition. See, when we're being judgmental, what Luther called this is a self-seeking wisdom. When we're judgmental, we go, you've irritated me. You've made me bothered. I just simply disagree with you. And I think I'm smarter than you. That's judgmental. Where discerning says, I don't believe that's right and that's going to hurt you. I don't believe that's right and I want the best for you. That's going to be the spirit of uh, discernment. See, discernment wants two fundamental things. Discernment wants first for God to be glorified. Right? For God to truly be glorified in how I respond to or proactively engage with the issue. That God would be glorified. That's discernment, first thing. The second thing about discernment, I want the good of the person if there's a problem. I want their good. I want them to be whole. I want them to be right with God, right within themselves. I want that. That's discernment. To be judgmental, though, does not go down that road. Judgmental is pretty simply... Uh, I'm critical, and you've irritated me. And so I'm venting my irritation. And so we want to break this down. What's proper judgment? What's bad or dangerous judgment? How can we discern without being judgmental? And we have to look in a couple of different categories to do this. So the first place is we're going to look at judging believers. Right? Judging those in the church. Judging those who follow Christ. Judging the Christian. And there is a time and a place. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's house. So there's a time for us to judge one another in right ways. Here's how Paul begins to address this in Colossians chapter 3. He says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ... Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all 
wisdom. I want you to look at that verse and I want you to look closely because there are three things in there that are paramount to successfully discerning versus being judgmental. The first is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? Which means again, just be, ah, here's the verse, here's the saying, you're wrong, done. No, when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, it begins to marinate within us. It begins to shape our disposition. It shapes our heart. It makes us gracious. It makes us kind. It makes us merciful. Because the more you dwell in the word of Christ, the more you realize you're pretty bad yourself. You realize you are totally at the mercy of the cross. You are totally at the mercy of grace because you know that in and of yourself, not worthy. You do not merit a thing. You are not better than some or better than most. You're like Paul, the chief of sinners. You might as well be. So when you dwell in the word of Christ in that rich sense, man, it begins to shape your insides. So again, the word is one thing and the richness of the word is the second thing that must be true to us to be able to discern properly. The third thing is it says, teach and admonish in all wisdom. In all wisdom. It means you know the person. You understand where they're coming from. You know the best way to talk to them. You know the best way to come alongside or come behind and hold them up and encourage them. It's because that's really how we should be dealing with each other. That's how we should judge. It shouldn't be coming to them face to face and going, hey, did you realize you're in sin? Right? It should be we come alongside. How can I help you? How can I walk with you? I know this is really hard. If this is going to take a long time, I get it because I care about you. So it all starts here. If it's not the word of Christ, which, by the way, notice it doesn't say the word of Moses. The word of Christ dwelling in us richly and working in wisdom, we're probably not going to do really well. And I see often where we don't do well, because instead of this verse here, right, there's another one that people love to use. It's kind of a hybrid. It's, hey, man, I'm just speaking the truth in love. You know this one? That one hurts, all right? That one always, I've never seen it go well, you know? Hey, I'm just speaking the truth in love, pop, you know, that's all. Hey, I love you. I'm just telling you. And you just walk away, you know, and they're bleeding. Okay, thanks, great. It just, it, I, I've just honestly never seen it go well. And part of that is because the person that says, I'm just sharing the truth in love, right hook, doesn't realize just how powerful the truth is. They don't fully understand the idea. In fact, to give you a sense of this, I'm going to one of our favorite beverages here at Redemption Church. Coffee, the Joe. All right? Truth is like a hot cup of coffee right? Scolding hot. You're not going to be able to drink that truth unless it's cooled. So we put coffee and tea on saucers to cool it. And in the Christian life, truth is truth, but it needs to be placed on the saucer of grace and mercy to cool that truth when we deliver it into the life of a person so they can actually take it. This is why Jesus is called full of grace and truth. That's why God says, I desire mercy, not just sacrifice when Pharisees were wanting to be legalistic. Again, 
Truth can be truth and deadly because of how we deliver. It can just burn as opposed to be drinkable. Don't think that because I'm sharing the truth means you're right. Just because you share the truth, you may be very wrong. And tragically, you may be dealing with a person who would receive the truth if you weren't delivering it like a shotgun blast. If you delivered it with mercy, if you delivered it with grace, if you delivered it with compassion. Because that's what Paul says also in Colossians 3. Just before he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Here's how he says we're to interact with one another. He says, since God chose you to be holy people that he loves, you must. You must. It's not an option. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as many, or for the members, we are all members of one body, and you are called to live in peace, so always be thankful. Man, that is some tough stuff right there to embrace. But, but that's how we're supposed to interact with one another. And, and that's not just like, hey, that's a nice little memory verse. I mean, you look at those words, and, and they're tough to do sometimes. But it's not an option. In fact, if anything, I would say Christians should be most marked by the one thing that we say makes us distinctive. What's our distinctive? Grace. Our distinctive is grace. No other religion can tout grace. And Christians go, we're saved by grace. We're just sinners apart from the grace of God through the cross. And so Jesus says, yes, I know. So everything you do, you really should do that through the grid of grace. Love grace, do grace, fight for grace, respond in grace. Or the words that are used here. Humility, kindness, gentleness, patience, tender-hearted, mercy, tender-hearted. If we're going to need to, at any point, discern a fellow Christian, here's your roadmap. Here's my roadmap. I don't always do this. And shame on me. Shame on me. This is true to our friendships. Right? If a friend has rubbed us wrong, how should we respond? This. With our spouse, how do you think God would have you respond to a disagreement with your spouse? This. Students, how should you respond to your parents? This. Parents, to your students? This. See, a lot of our friction is because we use law, we use force, we're judgmental. We want to get it off our chest as opposed to heal the person. And, and so this is what we do. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 don't do that. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. If we're going to judge, we judge with a right heart, a right disposition. Where what we bring to the table is encouragement toward truth and grace. And not just exasperating people under law and expectation. Right? Again, like I said, it can be truth, but it doesn't make us right. If our delivery is so wrong, they can't even get the truth. And I don't know about you, but I know me. Uh, 
I have literally, over the course of 20 years of receiving emails about what I should change, have changed nothing from any of them. For one reason. I just delete them. And I delete them because I go, if you don't care enough about me to come and talk to me, and you don't have to start by calling me a name, why do I care? Some people say, well, take the good and leave the bad. I just leave it all. It's easier. All right? It's easier. I have people in my life who love me that can confront me about the same things in a loving way, and I go, you're right, I want to change that. But when it's just between the eyes, that's all it is. Nobody wants to listen to that. Nobody. People will say, you know what, I just want you to just give it to me straight. No, you don't want that. I hear people say that. I'm like, no, you don't, because I could, and then you would be mad. All right? So you don't want that. I don't want, we don't like that. And so we want to come alongside in right ways, in grace, in truth. And this means we need to test our motives. Am I just trying to make a point or am I trying to make a difference? Points are easy, especially when you're chalking them up for yourself. Right? But if I want to make a difference, I have to approach it differently. Do I want to just get this off my chest or do I want to give God glory? Why, why am I going to have this confrontation? Am I more excited about catching them in the wrong or freeing them to the right? See, all of that is what is motivating me. Under this heading, there's basically two formulas. There's Bible plus humility plus care equals good judicial heart. But then there's also law plus superiority plus opinion. And that equals bad judgmental spirit. Right? Now, law is Bible, but Bible is law plus gospel. Right? And you need both. And sometimes we do this more out of law than we do out of gospel. People will remember us for being um, very dogmatic more than gracious. We don't want that. We don't want that. In fact, as I was thinking about it this week, I wrote a list. I said judicial, which is the positive thing, is burdened by people's pride. Judgmental, on the other hand, is simply offended by people's arrogance. Judicial sees people and wants to see them set free. Judgmental sees people and wants them to get caught. Judicial gets invested to help. Judgmental gets involved to speak. Judicial seeks clarity and interaction with the person. Judgmental simply simply wants to lecture or monologue. Judicial prays for the person to see clearly. Judgmental prays for self to speak boldly. Judicial is fixed on the person. Judgmental is fixed on the argument or the issue or the offense. Judicial sees oneself as a fellow sinner saved by grace, but judgmental sees the other person as the deeper sinner who needs to just change their life. Right? Now, I'll tell you why that list was easy. Because I'm awesome at judgmental. It wasn't a very hard investigation. To go, yep, I fall into judgmental more than I would like to admit. And it is wrong. In fact, we're going to see how wrong it is in just a couple of minutes. It's not how we should interact with one another. Christian to Christian, our hallmark should be grace. Grace. Humility. Kindness. Tender, Paul said. That's to be us. One to another. We have another category, though, that is uniquely difficult for us as Christians. How do we handle the non-believing world? 
How do we interact? How do we act in judgment or do we act in judgment when we look at the lost? And and here's something interesting about this. This is another area where, whether we like it or not, I think we excel at bad judgment more than right or good judgment. In fact, there's this interesting situation in Corinth where uh, there's some sin inside the church and Paul's saying you guys aren't acting in proper judgment because there is proper judgment. Uh, They weren't doing it. They weren't even dealing with the sin as a part of that. And so he has to tell them, you guys got to clamp down on this. This This is not going well. But the Corinthian church apparently over-rotates and takes Paul's words way further than they should have ever done that. And so this is what he says in verse 9 of chapter 5. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Great. He says, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. He says, you would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. And he says in verse 12, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those who are inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those who are outside. Now, I've talked about right judgment toward believers. You come alongside, there is an issue. Clearly, there's a sin thing. You want to see them succeed, get right, be well with God. But what comes to the unbelieving world, man, no, that's where he says, why are you judging them? Why are you wasting your energy or your time or your focus? It doesn't matter. It's not that the world won't be judged. What does it say? God will judge it. What Paul's saying is, it's just above your pay grade. Don't sweat it. Your job is not to judge the world. I think that's really freeing. That's really simple. But I also know it's hard. In fact, it was interesting. I realized how... how awkward it is even for me and i I would love to think that oh no i'm further down the road on this but i'm not fully and yesterday um my daughter honor and i were at uh, bellevue college for their orientation for running start and um man it was just like you know one person after the next of information i didn't fully need you know um which is awesome that's the college system so um and and then finally there was this very engaging individual that came in. I mean, great communicator, funny, clear, totally empathetic toward the students. I'm like going, this person will look out for my kid. But it was interesting. As soon as they walked in the door, the first thing in my mind was, that is the lesbian of all lesbians right there. I mean, truly, she looked like a boy, right? She had flannel shirt, glasses, crew cut, you know, looked like a boy. I couldn't, I'm like, Is that a 12-year-old professor? I don't know. No, that's a girl. And I remember going, yeah, just obviously, clearly, potently, letting the world know, I'm a lesbian. And and what I thought was so interesting is that that's kind of what I centered on. She's a lesbian. Listen to the lesbian talk. Listen to, she's a funny lesbian. You know, it was like that. You know? I would give that lesbian a radio program. She's so good at communicating. You know, it was like, so now I've got her ratcheted into one label. Right? And I, I don't know if I fully crossed the threshold of judging, but I'm like, funny, because the other five people that kind of bored me, I didn't go, hey, that's the heterosexual professor. You know, I didn't do that. Didn't even register. And, and then I thought more, because I was so impressed by her presentation, I, I would have wanted to go up and talk to her, but there was like 400 parents. It wasn't going to happen, right? And so, anyway, I thought, how strange, though, 
that if I was to go up to her afterwards and say, wow, I really appreciate it. You're a great public communicator. I do the same thing. Oh, really, what do you do? Well, I'm an evangelical pastor. I thought, what would be the first words in her mind related to me? Would she say, I bet this guy's pretty safe. I bet this guy is kind. I bet this guy didn't even think, wow, what a funny lesbian, you know? Um, Or would she instantly be defensive? Instantly think I've already got an agenda? Instantly think I've already stereotyped what her purpose is in college as far as a professor? I I, I did. I I really found myself stuck on that. Would she be open to a spiritual conversation with me if I said I was an evangelical pastor? Versus if I said I work for Microsoft, you want to have a spiritual conversation? And and I I just realized from that that, you know what, again, um, it's tragic that we're not necessarily known for our kindness and our grace. Now, again, does that mean we have to say, hey, and what you do, it's not sin. It doesn't mean that. It's not what we're talking about. We've already acknowledged what God will do with the world. And it's above our pay grade. Our pay grade is to be kind, to not judge, as we'll see, to love others because they're our neighbor, right? I mean, that's to be the heart. And so when we look at the world, that's how we should see them and treat them. Now, like I said, I'm not immune to this. I'm not. I still judge. Clearly, yesterday is a demonstration. But we know where we put the work or the effort or the emphasis then when we look at an unbelieving world. They're unbelieving. Paul says they're blind. Paul says they're dead. Paul says they're under the power of the devil. And Paul says, hey, by the way, your battle's not even with human beings. That should really cause us to go, that's a lot of load off. I have one battle. It's Satan. I have one message. It's gospel. I have one delivery apparatus. It's grace and kindness and compassion. Now, we discern in that all sinners need the gospel. Some sin more than others. We'll see pretty soon what the worst of the sins are. They'll shock us. So we all need the gospel. The non-believing world needs the gospel. So we need to come with proper judgment. What's the formula look like here? Lost plus gospel plus kindness equals a right judgment call. But lost plus law plus criticism equals wrong judgmental attitude. And here's why. Um, Law says you're a sinner. Now I'm going home. That's all that does. So whatever the outsider group is, they're greedy sinful. They're sexually sinful. They're lying sinful. They're lazy sinful. They're whatever sinful. Law, 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 law. Bye. What's the solution? No, I'm leaving. I already told you your sin. There's your problem. That's all law does. Here's your problem. Here's your failure. Here's why you're going to hell. Gospel says, ah, but here's your solution. And if all the world hears is law, then all we're really saying is go to hell. Right? Just go to hell. Until we bring, and you can be saved from hell. Jesus came, Jesus bled, Jesus died, Jesus forgives. I'm just a beggar. Here's some bread. Until we get there, we're just saying go to hell. You say, no, I'm not saying that. Well, if we're not bringing the gospel, and we're only bringing law, and we fight for law, 
and we won't fight for grace. Well, that's just like the Muslims, that's just like the Mormons, that's just like the Buddhists, that's just like anybody. Just fix your life. Just get right in your yourself. Buckle up. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Be moral. By that I mean my morality. But without the strength I've been given by the Spirit to do it. That's why we want to be sensitive and realize, hey man, there was a time and a place to judge and judge properly. So what we've looked at, basically, is good judicial hearts with right judicial calls and bad judgmental spirits with wrong judgmental attitudes. The question is, how wrong is wrong and how bad is bad? This is where it gets rough. You're going to go, no, it's been rough so far. No, this is where it gets worse. Trust me. All right. What we need to understand is the silver rule is also the silver sin. Now, you already lost. Silver rule. I don't even get it. All right. So, Jesus is confronted by one of the religious lawyers, scribes, whatever. And they asked him in the Gospel of Mark, which one of the commandments is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment, the golden rule, actually. This is why we're demoting the golden rule to the silver rule today. The most important rule, the golden rule is, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and all your strength. The second, the silver rule, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No commandment is greater than these. So the love your neighbor as yourself is really the silver commandment, but this is how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. He said, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Right here, that simple phrase, that simple verse changes everything for us. See, up to the point of Jesus, many people had taught this idea of what we traditionally call the golden rule, which didn't even exist until a particular emperor uh, said, I want that in my throne room on gold. And that's where we got the golden rule. Really, it's the second most important law in all the Bible. Second most important commandment. Right? Now, up to this point in Jesus's, or you know, in the world's existence up to Jesus, people would give the silver rule, but they would put it more in the negative. Don't be cruel to anybody so that they're not cruel to you. Don't be bad to anybody so they're not bad to you. Jesus, though, un- upends everything with this and says, no, 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 yeah, that's easy. It's easy to be passive. It's easy to ignore. It's easy to just steer clear of one another. I won't do bad to them. They won't do bad to me. So let's just stay apart. Jesus is the first guy in all of human history to say, oh, here's a good one. Actually, I want you to be proactive. I want you to go and do good to them. Well, worse than that, he says, whatever you wish they would do to you, do to them. That makes it a whole lot worse, right? Because I can wish a lot of cool stuff for me. So if I can wish a lot of cool stuff for me, then Jesus says, okay, whatever you wish for you, you got to figure out how you can give it to them. How you can build them up, how you can encourage them, how you can speak into their life, how you can bring them aid in some way. In fact, there's a pesky word here in the verse that says, whatever. And whatever in the original Greek language means whatever, right? So that's it. Whatever you wish they would do to you, you do to them. 
This is not measured by, well, what should they do to me? It doesn't matter what they should do. It doesn't matter what they actually do. What it is, is what do you wish they would do? Turn it around and do it. Use it. Exercise it. Pour it out into their life. In fact, the old adage is, if you have nothing nice to say, right, Jesus says, that's dumb, all right? Jesus says, if you have nothing nice to say, you better dig up something nice to say fast. It's not neutral. It's not passive. It's not steer clear. I mean, that is not here at all. If you want to comfort yourself with that, no, 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 if I avoid them, I'm not in sin. Yes, you are. You're totally in sin if you don't do good to them. In fact, Jesus says it this way in the Gospel of Luke. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. See, sometimes people don't ask for forgiveness, but you need to forgive. That doesn't acquit them. All right? That's amnesty for them. They're not acquitted. They still have to stand before God for what they did wrong to you. But when you forgive them, it's like amnesty. They, they still have to address their stuff. But boy, you're free. And when you give, you might be giving them time, giving them room to breathe, giving them grace, giving them empathy, giving them a hand, giving them help, whatever. But you, but you give. And to be clear, the scope and level of this command in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12, is that Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. This is the law and the prophets. I mean, this is not like some shallow thing. He says, it is the full embodiment. It is the heart of the Bible. You strip that out of the Bible, you go, no, no, no. I don't have to be loving to all of my neighbors. I don't have to be kind to everybody I know. I don't have to do good in the way that I wish to have done to me. You just tore the heart out. You have a dead carcass of a Bible at that point. You said, I'm going to violate the second greatest commandment for the sake of lesser commandments, and I'm good. See, this is where I'm being really hard, because I I ultimately look and I go, uh, as soon as we think we're really good, we realize we are violators of the number two spot. We're not so good. We need grace every day. We need the gospel every single day. And how far does Jesus take this? He says, accounts for even our most personal enemies. Luke chapter 6, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. We go, well, they're ungrateful, they're evil. Yeah, but God's kind to them, and so we're to be kind to them. Right? Or what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Right? He says you're supposed to be perfect as your Father is perfect by fulfilling the silver rule. Doing whatever you would want done to you, you do to them. So if that's the silver rule, then like I said, to violate it is the silver sin. See, we can look at a hundred other sins that, the, that goes on in the world, in the church, whatever, and they're sins. They don't glorify God. They're contrary to the word of God. But if, if, if we were to look at, at the question from the religious leader that looks at Jesus and says, what are the two greatest commandments? He could easily have said too, and here are the two greatest sins. 
To not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To not love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest sins. The greatest sins. As soon as we're judgmental, we just ratchet it up. If we judge somebody because of what they do in their life, what they said somewhere, how they raised their kids, and we go, they did this, they did this, and that, that sin might be 178 or, or, or 212. But don't worry, we surpassed them. We're two. We're two. And dangerously, we may be going into one if we're not cautious. Here's how it works. It's like a, it's like a scale. And, and so we look at a person's life and, and we see the weight of their sin. And the scale always goes, their sin is weightier than mine. I'm not as bad as them. And that's how we see it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be going up. See, this is what they do. I wouldn't be judging them if I didn't think I was better. I know we all say, I don't think I'm better. I'm just saying. Uh-huh. So um, I'm just saying they're worse. I'm not better. All right. So um, that's how it works. And that's how we see it. But here's how God sees it. He takes the scale and he flips it. He says, I see them. I see the weight of their sin. They have sin. That's true. But the way you judge them is far weightier than what their sin is. It's far weightier. Why? Because so often some of their sins are in the law or in the prophets. But our sin is violating the full body of the law and the prophets. Because our sin is tethered to the full body. Of the law and the prophets. We're managing to violate all 613 laws. When we judge. That's the danger. That's the problem. And, 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 and I, I look at this and I go man. Uh, we, we need to be aware. Because this is what Jesus says. This is red letters. Words of Jesus. Here in the Sermon on the Mount. He says for with the judgment you pronounce. You will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Right? This is sobering. Honestly, this week was the worst week for me studying this passage. I'm like, I just want to go to heaven now because I'm that bad. Because this is hefty. I mean, slow that down. The judgment you pronounce, the statement made in your mind to your spouse, to your friend, whatever. The judgment you pronounce, the statement made, and... The measure you use it, which is the tone of the statement made, it will be used against you. Not by other people, but by God. I mean, that, that's right there. I go, that's some weighty stuff. And again, things can be uh, spoken with a tone that is different depending on what you're wanting to achieve, right? I mean, you can say, idiot. Or you can be, idiot. Or you can be, idiot. Well, that's what's going on here. To the degree that you go, sinners, sinners, sinners. It's to the degree we expect to see that in our life. So, break it down. To the degree that we are harsh or critical or cynical or slow to listen or not empathetic or sympathetic. We're graceless or uncaring, callous, disengaged, flippant. To the degree that we're bothered, we will receive. And so if we lecture or rant or demand or we jackhammer our points or we're pitiless or we say, too bad, so sad. Or we say, oh, life's just a drag, get over it. To the degree that we do these kinds of things, 
Well, it's to the degree that we're going to face those things. Because what God says is, well, if it was good enough for you to render judgment, it's good enough for me to render judgment toward you. That's all he's saying. You thought it was good enough to judge in life, so I will use your standard to judge you in your death. So, buckle up, all right? I mean, that, that's, that's some harsh stuff. In fact, it, it, it's even a little more potent. Because he says, for good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you used it, it will be measured back to you. So, if your life has been pouring out law and pouring out demand and being not so kind and not so gracious and judging a lot of people in a lot of different ways, and that's just sort of your M.O., uh, he says, well, I, I'm going I'm to pour that back on you. And it's going to be full measure, running over, tamped down, spilling into your lap, which means, i.e., I can do more than you. You know, it's like going to the Mongolian grill and how much you try to stuff into a bowl because you only get one. You know that? Um, or you go to, to, to like the Lego store and they go, okay, you can fill up a tub for five ninety nine, And those kids are like, stuff on it, get more. You know, like that. Running over. That's, he says, what could be true to us. And so we want to be sober about this. Sober. I mean, it's no small thing. And again, this, this is one of the hardest things. I, I, I look at my life and I go, man, I, this just spooks me. It spooks me. Because, again, I'm so good at judging so quickly. Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 1 to chapter 2. Kind of a disposition within Christians. And he goes into chapter 1 and he gives a list of the sins that are going to be judged. And it's a hefty list of serious sinful offenses. Idolatry, homosexuality, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless, otherwise known as downtown Seattle. So, um... Right? And we look at that list and go, oh, man, so bad. And then Paul gets to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad and you have no excuse. You're like, what are you talking about? We live in Duol. We're nowhere near downtown Seattle. We're nothing like that. Right? He says, when you say that they are wicked and they should be punished, you are condemning yourself. You who judge others, you do the very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same? Now, he's not saying verbatim. It's not like we take the Romans one lesson and go, well, see, we just mirror that. What he's saying is, you violate the law. You violate the prophets. You're just as sinful when you start condemning them. That's not a good place to be. And James, he says it this way, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. One who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. I thought it was just, I didn't like Bob. Now I realize I don't like the law. He says, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He's able to both save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why is this such a big deal? Fundamentally, because we're disgracing the gospel. That's why. That's the bottom line. We're disgracing the gospel. We forget we're saved by grace, not by works. Lest anyone should boast. We still can't boast. We can be saved 30 years. We still can't boast. I got it more together than the lost world. I got it more together than most of the people in the church. They're idiots. They're stupid. They're sinful. I've got it figured out. Nope. 
saved by grace. Grace alone. In fact, the way Paul rules out on Romans chapter 2, he says in verse 4, Do you not realize how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sins? This is the hallmark. Right? God has been so kind, so gracious, so compassionate. We want to do the same. The same. Because of the gospel, because of Christ, here's the reality of our scales. They're level. Only through Christ. Only through the cross. Right? Does that mean that people get off scot-free? No. God is judge. Does that mean we don't say something at some point or some time? But we do with, we, we do say something, but with discernment, with mercy, with compassion, with kindness, with grace, with the word cooled under the plate of grace. That's the way to do it. Does this mean, well, gosh, if you're going to be judged by God, you can lose your salvation? Is that what that's dealing with? No. It's saying you'll lose reward. If you're saved, you're saved. But you can lose reward. Because God says, I'm going to judge all of your works in life and reward you according to what you've done. And if he says, boy, you spent a lot of time violating number two. All that time, all that energy, all those words, nothing. Nothing. And so Jesus wants us to know we need to be aware. In fact, he wants us to have wide open eyes as opposed to be plank-eyed blind. Verse 3. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but you do not notice the log that is in your own. We look at this and it's very solemn. It's very serious. In fact, I want to I show you really quick how serious this was as Jesus did it. This is what he's getting at. Um, and so he tells a story, right? And he's like, oh, you judge, you violate the law, you do all this stuff. And, and it's like this. I don't even know why you're laughing at me. That's dumb. I look awesome. You guys look ridiculous is what it is, right? So this is the problem. And when Jesus said it's a joke in some ways, it's like it's meant to be like, oh, sure, you can like live life with a log sticking out of your own eye. It's like checking people out, you know, but that's his point. This is what we do all the time. Oh, look at him back there. Seventh row. Nice. I see what he's doing. He's sleeping. That's what he's doing. Uh, you know, so. Right? This, this is the problem right here. And then we judge other people by this standard. Right? It's the plank eye. I, I just, I know I have no hair to fix, but it makes me feel good. All right? So, <laughs> makes me feel complete. All right? And, and, and here's the thing about those planks. It's this right here. It's like this great, it's the planker right here. Planker does a lot of cool stuff. All right? The planker is many tools in one. Planker you do like this, and you can get up on it. And you can be just over somebody else, just a little bit. That's the planker, right? I'm judging you just a little bit, just for a moment, doing that. Or I can use it as a battering ram to fix them. Or I've got this great measuring rod, so I can see if they measure up to what I need. Or I can bar my door with it to keep them out. We're selling these after service. They're great, all right? That's, that's what we do. That's how the planker works. And so Jesus says, no, don't be plank-eyed blind. Don't give in to that. Worse than that, what sometimes happens with the planker is we start to disciple, all right? So uh, I need a volunteer right here. 
Tom Potter, you look sinful. Come here. Um, No, you look righteous. You look perfect, all right? So, what happens is I'm plank eye blind. I'm hanging out with my, my man here. And uh, what's going on, Tom? Why, you can't take me serious? I don't know what the problem is. All right, just stand back. I don't want to kill you. All right, so, so we're just hanging out. And then I'll be like, yeah, you know, um, I was thinking about that family in the church. And uh, just kind of watch them with their kids. I mean, they're always out of control and everything else. And, like, I mean, like, the dad's just sitting around like a dope because that's what dads do and oh wait hey i I got something for you by the way dude um here um have you have you have you noticed how they do that i mean like that and then the mom she's just like gabbing the whole time with her friends yeah you know what i mean like i mean did did you raise your kids that way (laughs) no no way man i didn't either or like that guy over there i mean like that guy i i I don't know i'm he's putting on a little weight that's all i'm saying you know but um I don't know. But who am I to judge, right? I don't judge. All right. So, nice work, judgmental man. All right, but stay here for a second. You take your judgmental hat off, though. So, that's one way it happens. So, we disciple others in it, right? Unless you want to keep it. You can drive home with that and see if you can pull it over. So, right? Or, or if it's not that, it's somebody like me, judgmental, plank-eyed, everything else. And then I look at Tom, and Tom's not my disciple at this point. He's a sinful guy. Uh, at least I think he's sinful because he has a splinter in his eye, right? And I am in tune enough to do it because my vision is perfect, right? So what I do is I say, hey, let me just get that out for you, all right? No, no, don't move. Don't move. You gotta, no, it's fine. It's little. I'll get, it's no problem. I'll get it, right? We hatch it out the splinter while we can't see because of the log in our own eye. Give Tom a hand. Right? So what do we do when we say, hey, let me just take that speck out and I've got this log sticking out. Well, Jesus is in verse five. You hypocrite. He says, you hypocrite, don't do that. He says, first, take out the log from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck in your brother's eye, right? It means there is a time, there is a place to step in and say, hey, let me help you deal with that. But after the junk's out of my own eyes. And the way you really know the junk's out of your own eyes is you know your disposition, you know your heart. I want to win them over, not just win. I break for them more than I'm angry at them. I see that this is going to hurt them and I want to help them. And so I'm praying for them. I'm thinking through things for them. I'm empathetic toward their situation. If by any means I can come alongside and bring encouragement. See, that's how it's done. Not I'm right. You're wrong. Here's my hatchet. Here's my plank guys going to war. Says we can't, can't get anything accomplished with that. No, we need to be wise in him. And then Jesus wraps up in a way that's really interesting. It's all about right discernment, even toward those who may not change, where we have to kind of realize sometimes even to come alongside may not be a helpful deal. And so in verse 6, he says, do not give dogs what is holy. Literally in Greek, that means cats. And he says, and do not... You know, if I can just make Greek whatever I wanted to be today. All right, so... um, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not put your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot, turn to attack you. Um, What he's saying here is, you know what, there's going to be some that are so hard, both Christians and non-Christians, that you know what, they're they're just not going to hear it. Don't beat the dead horse. Don't try to shove it down their throat. 
right? Have that wisdom and discernment that says, you know what? Um, yeah, I, I, I know this is going to go poorly. And, and what that means is not only am I going to not say something to them, I'm not going to say anything about them either. Uh, that does no good. So I'm going to say stuff about them, but not to them, because I don't think they can handle it, but all these people can handle it, right? That doesn't make any sense. So, so we go, ah, sometimes you just, you, you, don't, you just don't do that. If you can use a scalpel, great. Don't use a hatchet. And if you know they're not going to take it, just hold it back. Jesus says, man, that's wisdom, that's prudence. That's the way of the kingdom. And so you see here this morning, it's no different than the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Everything is about choices, two choices. Religion or gospel. Hypocrisy or truth. Law or grace. Pride or humility. A judge or a fellow sinner dependent on Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, this was a tough road to go down. It was a lot to take in. It was a case sort of to make. And it is a reminder that every one of us in this room is a radical sinner in need of grace every day. And the more we think we're righteous, sometimes is the place where we're most unrighteous. The place where we're the strongest may be the place where we're the least gracious. And so give us wisdom and discernment for your glory and your fame. Amen.